This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Books Without Borders, episode 10 of Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people... Yep. (laughs) The podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. I'm Nina. And I'm very tired this morning, so I hope (laughs) that you are feeling nice and invigorated um, from your holiday. How was your holiday? It was just fantastic. I mean, it was a bit of a hectic time. We had some bumps in the road, flight cancellations and issues with our car, but everything Mm. ultimately got resolved. And I can't say that, (laughs) I think we all sort of agreed it wasn't necessarily stress relieving because there was a lot of obstacles to overcome, but it was so worth it because it was just so beautiful and Mm. peaceful. And we drank tea and went on hikes in the rain. And it was just everything you would expect out of Scotland. So I'm very, very glad that we did that. And I'm also glad to be home and relaxing. So Fantastic. Did you manage to get much reading done? I got a good bit. You did? Okay, cool. (laughs) I got a good bit of reading done. I'm very excited to report today all of this reading and just all the bookish updates because I feel like I'm bursting with them. So... Let's let's get into it. How about you? How Absolutely. was your week like? My fortnight was okay. I had a, a, a bit of a mix of ups and downs, to be honest, um, with my health. But overall, a decent reading fortnight. Not my best, but decent. Okay, I have a question. Yes. <laughs> it might be a dumb American question. Do people in Australia casually use the word fortnight? Oh my god, I always forget that's not a concept Americans use. Yes. I yes, will. It's a concept, but only in like archaic literature you know like that's very interesting <laughs> no no uh like the british uh, australians use the word fortnight very very commonly to refer to a, a period of two weeks it's extremely <laughs> useful as a term and i don't know how americans don't use it because like yeah it's an extremely I, I... useful term we use it all the time in terms of like that's you know a lot of people get paid fortnightly or like you right, know i can't yeah. i can't imagine not using that word very regularly to be honest well we say we see bi-weekly like you're paid bi-weekly right see to me bi-weekly <laughs> sounds like twice a week I know that's probably not mm. what it means but that, that's what yeah. it sounds like in my head so that's interesting it means every other week implying two weeks have elapsed but interesting interesting yeah no that I do see where you where you come from with that and that's just funny because in in I think in American culture you would Maybe say Fortnite, but like in the same way you would say Madame or like ironically, you know what I mean? (laughs) Interesting. Anyway, those cult, those, uh, those cultural (laughs) things that pop up every now and again, it's just amazing. So do you want to launch in with your, you, I can see you're bursting to to start (laughs) talking about bookish related things. So, um, (laughs) go ahead. So my week took a turn. There was a plot twist shall we say. Mm -hmm. I recall in our last recording, we discussed like our next steps in reading for the end of Mm -hmm. the year. And what I had anticipated was that I would finish The Graces and then move on to uh, a memory called Empire and launch into my sci-fi reading extravaganza. 
this is not what has occurred. I've gone mm-hmm. off the rails. Um, and okay. I'm very okay with that, you know, because why not? So two, two things occurred while I was in Scotland. Both of them were books that I purchased. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see. Um, but also, but also um, the realization that... So, so, okay, the graces, as I was reading, it was like halfway through when I arrived in Scotland and I finished it up halfway through our trip. And it had a lot more of the sort of spooky, witchy, Halloween vibe. Not like scary, mm. not horror or anything like that, but more of the mysterious magical vibe paranormal kind of stuff maybe yeah um yeah. that made me feel like oh this is really in season you know maybe i want to dive into that season a little bit more and so meanwhile also being in the scottish landscape mm. i was drawn to picking up some folklore so i ah. went on a bit of a um fairy tale folklore witchy vibe instead there you of go you are doing vibe. the uh the autumn season reading after all here it is yeah and and actually, so I remember saying that I wouldn't likely be reading my autumn pick, which was The Power by Naomi Alderman, but I am now reading that book. So, spoiler oh. for the future section. So, okay, I'll start with um, The Graces, which uh, was the first book I finished. I finished it last week, and it was, it was a complicated read. Let me start out by saying, on my returning flight, they called me out for overpacking my bag because I only was supposed to have a personal item and Mm -hmm. suffice it to say the thing I abandoned was that book (laughs) oh no (laughs) to make it fit in the compartment that my bag was supposed to fit in but it was okay it wasn't a terrible book it wasn't a book that like I was ready to abandon without cause but I also (laughs) knew that if necessary that was the thing I was sacrificing because Mm -hmm. I read it I was done with it it was okay it ended up being really strange, Mm. sort of nonsensical, probably in line with what I was initially anticipating it being like the lowest rated of the traumatized teen book series Mm. I've been reading. Mostly because the voice was just really strange. She just had really strange ideas about how to socialize. And my friend actually, when I was talking about it, right after I finished the book, we were like, it was a road trip. So we were driving in the car and I had finished the book. And one of my friends was like, maybe she has some kind of socializing disorder, you know, Mm -hmm. that might be like a reason why she's thinking this way because she's, all her relationships are very transactional. Uh, She thinks of everything as like, she needs to put on this sort of acting face in order to be perceived in this way so that she Mm. can get in with these people. And it was all this very like complicated scheme. Meanwhile, the people she was trying to befriend who were like the quote unquote popular people, like were just normal people looking for friends. And they liked her because (laughs) they thought she was genuine and just like upfront Mm. and nice and fun and cool. It's like, they're just normal people trying to like vibe in high school or whatever. And she's like, I'm acting. They don't understand that everything I'm going through to make sure that they think I'm this specific person. And I'm like, girl, Mm. you could just be yourself and they would like you perfectly fine. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with you other than the fact that you seem really, uh, to have some sort of hang up about, yeah, yeah, it's, Mm. I don't know. And so my friend was saying like, maybe it was some kind of spectrum of disorder, but Mm. that wasn't explicitly discussed in the book. So I don't know if I can really have the take the, I don't know if I can really take the liberty to assume Mm. that maybe honestly, it gave me the sense that the writer had this experience in high school or that this is how the writer thought when she was that age and trying to understand social relationships. And so 
it didn't seem like the author was intentionally crafting this character to have this personality, at least to mm. me. It kind mm. of seemed like she thought this is what high schoolers think. That's kind right, of okay. at least the interpretation I had. And so I almost felt that maybe like she had this sort of insecurity when she was in high school. Not that we can like totally read into the author's experience through their yeah, fictional yeah. characters, but that was kind of just the the sense that I got. Like I, mm-hmm. I read books before where like young people being a bit um, maybe out of the ordinary, but it seemed very intentional, whereas this didn't necessarily feel that way. But the whole book was kind of a, a mess, to be honest, because it just had so many things going on and everything was wrapped up in un necessary or weird or strange ways that didn't quite you know leave me satisfied I did enjoy to an extent the atmosphere of the book Mm. I was like wanting to pick it up it wasn't like a book I was dreading picking up but it also was one that I wanted to finish so I could read a book that I knew was good because I kind of had this sense that I was reading the book so much that I started to enjoy it despite the fact that it wasn't good and losing Mm. sense of what is good you know because I was so in this world but anyway so that that was the book I wouldn't recommend it I think I rated it like maybe 3.25, maybe even a 3. I'm really, okay, foreshadowing to our later segment on the Copile rating system, I'm starting to maybe question my rating system. I don't know, Mm. we'll discuss this more later, but it wasn't like terrible. It wasn't an unenjoyable experience, but definitely wasn't like a 2. It might put it at like a 3 or 3.5 because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go above a 3.5 for it, but Anyway, that's that's my general experience. Mm-hmm. I finished one other book and started two other books, so I can go into those. Or if you want to do one, I'll I'll it. jump in because I've finished three and started well, finished three and continued one. So right. um, that'll that'll balance out well if we're just kind of switching back and forth. So the first book I finished was um, I finished reading I Was Born for This by Alice Oseman. It's the third of her main novels. As with all the other books she's written. Uh, and as I mentioned last t- last episode, she continues to be the queen of mi- minority representation done well. The story itself, so it's the lowest rated of the Alice Osmonds. That being said, it was still a 4.25. Like it's, you know, similar to how I read Jane Austen. Like when I say it's the lowest of, it's still pretty damn good. So yeah, basically the premise of the story is that it's, as I mentioned last time, each chapter is switching back and forth between a boy band fangirl and a member of the boy band and the main reason that it is much lower rated than the other books by Alice Oseman that I've read is that it relied a lot on coincidence and like you know kind of almost magically feeling comfortable with someone even though like the situation kind of objectively is a little weird like relying a little too much on coincidence and intuition Mm -hmm. in the setting of a YA novel it still worked which is why it was still like a 4.25 but it definitely was not as strong as the other stories of hers which I think are much more realistic that being said still an incredibly enjoyable read so can still recommend. I honestly don't have a lot more to say about that one because the the, the premise is basically the story. So like, yeah, right. <laughs> back to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know. I am very curious when my Alice Oseman moment will come because I know I'm going to read these at some point. 
So I will be able to discuss them more in depth eventually, but uh, I guess I just haven't felt it yet. Maybe when the second season of Heartstopper comes out? Do we know when that's coming out? I have no I idea. I need to know. I need to know. But before I look that up, um, I'll get into my second book, uh, which will sort of spoil my haul a little bit, but that's all right. So on my first day in Scotland, we were in Edinburgh, and we didn't have that much time because of the aforementioned flight issues. We had our time in Edinburgh cut short, and I decided that with my afternoon, I would spend some time at a cute looking indie bookstore and I mm-hmm. found the cutest indie bookstore probably in all of Edinburgh. I feel very proud of myself because, you know, there are always awesome. options and it's not always the one, you know, that you wanted, but this was the one. I was so satisfied. It's called Lighthouse or The Lighthouse bookstore something like that in Edinburgh and it's a political queer feminist themed bookstore and so it had a lot of it had like a normal books section so there were kind of like two rooms or maybe three rooms to this bookstore and one of them was just like a normal bookstore which I explored for a while without even realizing the other room was there and it just had all the the normal fiction a lot of titles that I'd come across recently I did pick up on the fact that have you noticed I feel like lately it's really popular to have all these like very unhinged sort of gory either like mm. cannibal themed or some sort of like yeah. body horror this is like really popular in books right now and i'm like what is going on with the people yeah. i'm very yeah. concerned not like so inclined to read a lot of like new release fiction because mm. so much of it has this like weird either medical or sexual aspect involving gore i don't know it's just it's just weird to me um mm. but you know things come and go. So I wasn't like really being attracted to any particular book uh, in that store. And that was until I discovered the other room. The other room was an entire room full of queer literature. I was Mm. so excited because there was just so much to choose from and so many titles I was not familiar with before. And I quickly found this book, which literally made my day just to see that it exists. It's called Asexual Fairy Tales by Elizabeth Hopkinson. So awesome. It actually, this is, I, I um, mistakenly picked up, this is more Asexual Fairy Tales. So this is like a, oh. actually a third edition <laughs> of her Asexual Fairy Tale and Folklore series. So she has two previous books released before this that I guess I just was so excited when I saw it. I didn't even notice that it was a third book, <laughs> but that's not important because they're just short stories. Short fairy stories, tales. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I'm just going to call it asexual fairy tales because the more is uh, unnecessary. So I sort of was reading that a little bit throughout the week and I finished it the other day. I had a complicated relationship with it, I'll be honest, Mm -hmm. because I was really, really excited. You know, I've been exploring my own experience with asexual the asexual spectrum, you know, mm. and how I might fall into it because I've always kind of known that I've been on that spectrum but not really knowing where and, you know, um, not really knowing if it's the time in my life that's influencing it. Like, if it's a phase, I guess yeah, is yeah. what that means. Um, or not. Or if it's medication that's affecting my sexual experience or whatever. Um, mm. Or if it's just, you know, who I've been with. I don't know. So there are so many factors and so I was really excited to explore, like, this another person's asexual experience and also mm. to have it in a fairy tale format. So I had so 
much expectation of this book going into it. And I, I'm disappointed to say that it didn't quite meet my expectations. I also mm. am like nervous to say that because I want to support this adorable indie artist, I mean, <laughs> writer, who not only like hand signed this book, but it's clearly like a like maybe self-published or like mm. uh, indie published book. Like you can just kind of tell from the binding and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, I really love what this person is doing. I love their ideas and I want to support them wholeheartedly. But just from a critical, you know, point of view, I will say mm. there were a few things that I struggled with it. First being that for an asexual book, I expected it to talk about sex less. <laughs> it talked about uh. sex a lot. And not so much like in terms of like sexual scenarios, but it was I, th- I thought like, oh, an asexual fairy tale would be a fairy tale in which there's magic or adventure or, you know, heroism of some kind. But the heroine or hero's role has nothing to do with their romantic relationships or like maybe they have platonic friends that go with them on these adventures and then they just don't end in romance and I was excited for that because I love the idea because I feel like so many like magic stories are really tied up in romance and I do enjoy romance a lot um Mm. I read a decent amount of romance and I don't mind there being sexual content in books I mean if it's Mm. not so overdone but I was just excited for this sort of fresh take on what a fairy tale can look like and have it not end in a happily ever after for a couple you know Mm -hmm. instead what this person does more is she writes stories that do involve romantic couples so the story is all about a boy pursuing a girl or something else and i will say it is a bit heteronormative which Mm -hmm. uh, is surprising for this not only because the author she uses she her pronouns to my knowledge and but she does identify as genderqueer and there are some genderqueer characters in the book and Mm -hmm. there are a few maybe one or two no i think it's just one one non-hetero romantic relationship though she is a Mm -hmm. heteroromantic person so i don't know i I was expecting a little bit less heteroromanticism but that was okay i wasn't so bothered by that but it was often stories about like a boy pursuing a girl or a girl pursuing a boy and then they just decide to live happily ever after and the author doesn't say, like, the author doesn't exclude sex from the conversation. She says something along the lines of, and you can imagine whatever you want to imagine these characters choose to do with their bodies later. And mm-hmm. it just felt a little too on the nose. It felt yeah. a little bit yeah. like every story, it was acknowledged that they could have sex if you want them to in your own brain, but they don't have to if you don't want them to. And I was just like, I just kind of don't want to think about sex. Like, why are we bringing up sex so much? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's especially know? interesting considering that fairy tales usually don't address sex at all. Right. So, like, because usually they're just kind of... And then happily ever after with nothing explicit mentioned. So that's right. a very interesting way to write asexual fairy tales. When Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's an uh, interesting approach. I know, and I I want to respect that, like, I do think this is a healing practice for her and Mm. that she is giving readers the permission that she was able to give herself to imagine romantic stories ending in whichever way you prefer. But I think I just had a hard time with, I I would have preferred if she just decided, you know, like maybe like I know some asexual people, I mean, I'm on the asexual spectrum and I have sex, you know, but I think like it's okay to like have an asexual story in which sex occurs or something like that. But I don't know. I just want her to choose, you know, I want her to tell the story. Like, don't tell me to imagine the story. You tell me the story. I thought you're the writer type of thing. But yeah, 
That's a <laughs> my weird other, one. My other slight critique of the book, which is, again, so unfortunate. Like, I want to support her so much. But I do feel that the writing isn't so strong. It relies a lot upon the reader already knowing a lot of, like, historical folklore and uh-huh. fairy tales. Yeah. Um, and so she'll kind of just, like, name drop things. Either name drop previous stories or name drop symbolic objects or animals or something and mm-hmm. not really explain it or make it relevant to the story but just say that like because this object or like she'll say and there was this object there which represents purity but the object won't really play a role in the story so I'm like why is it there mm. so it was kind of like like I said I, I just I don't think I think she had a lot of really great ideas I don't know if she has a lot of writing training Mm. which is like it feels like such a horrible thing to say (laughs) no no that's that's fine like that's that's what we are here for (laughs) yeah you know i i will say like i said like i have i've really enjoyed the concepts behind a lot of these stories but i was left in most of them feeling like i if i really felt dedicated to this i think i could rewrite this better and use that idea, <laughs> but just make it more, I don't know, like um, literary or mm. poetic. Um, yeah. And not just, it was a lot of like modern language mm. mixed with old language in a sort of clunky way. Oh, nope. Yep. Yeah, you know what I mean? And just things happen really quickly. Like some stories are only like two pages long, but a lot mm. happens in those two pages. It's just that the writer had written it very like, this happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. Mm. And there was also a lot of that sort of thing that you learn, I think, pretty early on in writing training that like you can't or you shouldn't start a sentence with the same like article multiple times or the same a pronoun multiple mm. times, you know, unless you're doing it as a sort of repetition like intentional to the poetic yeah, voice yeah so there was certain things i had a hard time with that but again i want to stress i really love what she's doing i am tempted to maybe pick up more of her stories if they cross my path though i probably won't seek them out as i originally thought i might mm. and that's okay i'm excited to see more content like this okay cool uh, <laughs> that that book actually segues ridiculously well into my next book which was Loveless by Alice Oseman, which, as the title semi-indicates, is essentially the story of... And this doesn't feel like a spoiler because it's hinted at from, like, immediately. It's more about you knowing and, like, real- and like seeing the character's journey, but it's essentially the character realising that they're an aromantic asexual. And, like, that's the, the primary purpose of the book, essentially. So it's great. Can highly, highly recommend I gave that one a 4.75. It was very, very well written. And some of the best kind of... I Like, honestly, I would super highly recommend it. It's It really goes through kind of her thought processes of, like, is there something wrong with me? Is this just a phase? Do I need to find the right person? Accidentally kind of using one of her best friends to... You know, and, and like really, really hurting them in the process, but then like the healing process that happens through communication afterwards. We love to see that. It's mm. it's really good. I think the only reason it didn't get like a full five is because some of the again, like there was some like relied on um, over the top cheesy elements. Uh, you know, there were a lot of grand gestures and stuff, which on the one hand was very cute, but on the other hand, I was like, okay, all right, well, yeah, it's a bit a bit much, but sure. 
unlike the rest of Alice, so the rest of Alice Oseman's books are based mostly around people who are like high school aged or, or like just fin- just graduated high school. This one's actually set um, as they're entering university. So this is the first of her novels that's like a new adult fiction rather than young adult, which I really liked as, you know, it, it was kind of closer to, it's a little a little closer in my in my more, my more recent memory um, of being <laughs> in university rather than in high school. But yeah, would highly recommend it. So it's a really, really well done exploration of someone figuring out what their identity is. Within there, it's also explained like the different, um, you know, it, it's just explained very casually of like, you know, the difference between romantic attraction versus sexual attraction there's one character who is homoromantic asexual and then there's another one who's like aromantic bisexual or pansexual or something like that someone else who's just kind of like i don't know i'm probably pan whatever it's just it's just (laughs) done really well so i can highly recommend that and also while we're on the topic of books that discuss asexuality i don't know if you've read this already but if you haven't i can recommend um non-fiction book called The ABCs of LGBT. I can highly recommend that to anyone who kind of is a bit confused by all the LGBT like labels and all that kind of stuff. Anyone who's kind of interested in learning more about the LGBT spectrum. It's a, it's a nice little resource. Very easy. It's very like readable. It's like a very readable nonfiction by the, the author is, is uh, genderqueer and they now go by Ash Hardell. But what was their name when they published the book? Ashley Mardell. That's it. The book. The book is published under um, their their previous name, Ashley Mardell. So yeah, she, um, you you may have. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of their YouTube videos. I I recognize the name. Yeah, but I, I can highly you know, recommend I, that book as well. That's a good recommendation. I forget often that people don't know these terms the way I know them because yeah. I you know come from a, a liberal place and I'm on this bubble in the internet. You know, it's so yes. easy to forget. But even sometimes with my friends here, you know, I use a term and they don't know what it means, and so that's I think that's important. I mean, I like yeah. to tell people what what things mean but also it's mm. good to take the opportunity to to learn those things absolutely and be, it's a yeah. it's also just a really aesthetically cute book so it's just a nice little thing to own as well <laughs> like it's just a it's nicely designed I think it's relatively up to date it was published several years ago but from memory I'd like there's nothing in it that I think would have aged badly I don't think well, I just looked them up, and it seems it seems that they released uh, an updated version in twenty twenty two. Oh, did they? Okay, fantastic. All right, I didn't even know about that, so that's great. And is as is it under Ash Hardell now? I believe so. Brilliant, excellent. Yep, yep. It looks like the first one has their previous name, and the second one yes. has uh, their updated name. Oh, there we I go. I like their bio here. It says, "I'm queer. I'm not sure what my pronouns are, and sometimes I make YouTube videos." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Yeah, sums them up pretty well. Sweet, cool. Anyway, so yes, the lots of um, asexual recommendations. Well, lots. There are two, but you know, there's <laughs> you can you can uh, take take those as uh, as recommended if you'd like. I I very much enjoyed both of those. So the other two I have not finished yet, but one of them I got in Scotland as well. And it was after I found this book of asexual fairy tales. It was in a shop somewhere along the road. I can't quite remember where, but it it's a collection of Scottish folklore and fairy tales. So it was in the same sort of theme as the other book I read. Um, And 
that's what kind of jumped me into this whole tangent of reading that steered me away from the sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But I've started that and it's just lovely. Um, mm. I have such a desire to be more familiar with like folklore and fairy tales of different Desire. cultures because I love folklore and fairy tales. Me too. It's so intriguing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I often get overwhelmed by, like, where to start <laughs> yep. because you don't know, like, what's the original, you know? Like, can I even read the original? Because it's probably in another language or it might be, you know, in an old English of some kind. Um, mm. and well, usually actually, the origin sorry, of a lot of folk tales is, like, China because that's one of the right. oldest civilizations that, like, one, they were one of the earliest ones to start writing or something, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this looked like a pretty legit uh, source of fairy tales. There were actually a mm-hmm. few fairy tale collections, like Scottish fairy tale collections at this bookstore, and some of them were just, like, retellings from some, right. you know, random Scottish person, <laughs> which would be lovely as well, but I kind of wanted more, like, literary um, figures, mm-hmm. you know, like, more notable works mm-hmm. um, to really get the background on it and I'm very much enjoying them they're actually like there's a challenging element to reading them because a lot of them are written in like a phonetic way that like Scottish people speak you know Mm. and so I kind of have to say them out loud even though I can't do a Scottish accent for the life of me like when Mm. I was on this trip the entire time my brain was talking in Scottish I mean in in English but with a Scottish accent Mm. but then when I try to use it out loud, like to read these stories to my friends, it was so bad. I mean, you know how it goes. <laughs> Same with like singing or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, they've been really, really cute stories. I'm enjoying them quite a bit. And I'm probably not even a quarter into it. So hopefully I'll get further into it. But I also don't feel so much of a rush on it now that I'm not in Scotland. Cool. That actually, again, segues well into, not not the next one I finished reading, but it segues well into what I'm currently reading, mm. which is I'm finally making actual progress on Windswept and Interesting, which is Billy Connolly's autobiography. And he also has, um, in se- several moments, he's uh, he slips into that kind of writing out phonetically what the... Uh, what the you know what the Scottish phrase would sound like, um, <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's very entertaining to read like that. I I slightly wish I'd like looked up the audiobook for this one. Like if there is an audiobook, um, mm. there probably is. There might not be, but you know there, there probably is. But like uh, I feel like it would have been really fun to listen to this one. But um, you know my dad lent me the physical copy of the book, so that's the one I'm reading. So like I said, I'm finally making progress. I read about 200 pages of it yesterday, and I will probably finish it today because I've only got about 100 pages left now because I'd already read like 80 something pages. So yeah, I'll probably finish that soon. But yes, I've only yeah I've only got one other book to report on. So do you want to what's what's the other one you started reading? The other one I started reading is The Power. Oh great! So I picked this one up because you know I was in this sort of witchy mm. vibe, somewhat coming from the Graces and also somewhat coming from the fairy tales, and I guess I it just came to me. So I picked it up and I'm almost I think a hundred pages in. Mm-hmm. I read this chunk of 100 pages and it's like 350 pages long so Mm -hmm. it's a significant portion of it but I just started it um but I read all of that in like one sitting because Mm. it is amazing oh fantastic so far I'm excited Um, which (laughs) yeah which was really exciting because you know the other two books I had read this week weren't like huge (laughs) books in my in my reading uh for the year I didn't love either of them you know so much so 
it was really nice to finally pick up a book. And I feel like I've been feeling this for a, a minute now. Like, it's been a minute since I've read a book that I really loved yeah, and was yeah. immediately, like, hooked on. Um, so a bit of this a bad one. Run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there have been some, like, good books in there, some solid four stars. But nothing's breached the fourth star section that much, I don't think, since, like, The Goldfinch, maybe, which mm. was much earlier in this year. And I'm wondering how far up this is going to go because I'm just completely gripped by the plot. So I don't remember how much I went into it last time, but maybe to give a brief summary now that I know more about it. Mm. Um, it's about um, a modern, you know, contemporary society, same as ours, but one day young women start having this electrical magic ability mm. uh, in which they can sort of like create sparks from their hands or from their body uh, upon contact with people. And it's about how society is slowly like beginning to turn against women in fear. And mm. also there's this huge, this greater divide being created uh, between men and women. And you know, queer gender is not really explored in it so far that I can tell, uh, but it does seem to be ex explicitly about um, biological gender mm -hmm. or sex. So I would imagine it would be dependent on that. Okay. And it's very, very intriguing. Um, a lot has happened very quickly in the book. And um, so that's been really exciting. Mm. It is really intense. There, you know, <laughs> to talk about sex a little bit more, um, there is some, um, you know, violence sexual violence in the mm -hmm. beginning of the book so i would maybe content warning that for mm -hmm. anyone i do see on the front cover of it book of the book it has a little author review that says our era's handmaiden's tale so that can, mm. gives you an idea okay and i'm really enjoying it. it has little illustrations in it as well which is fun and it follows a couple different perspectives one of them being a guy one of them being um an adult woman one of them being a young girl mm. um and so the young young women who are getting this power are able to transfer it to older women and the older women are more able to sort of hide it so that like they can maintain their careers and stuff and it's, it's very complicated and very interesting and i can't wait to see where it goes interesting great i'm glad to hear that it's good because it sounded like the premise was really interesting so glad that you're finally having like a proper engrossing read <laughs> yeah and it's really beautifully written too, which is something Excellent. I'm enjoying because, you know, I mean, I've read, I've read a bunch of books recently that I think a good amount of them I enjoyed, but not many mm. of them have I felt like, wow, this is talented writing, you know, yeah. this is like yeah. breathtaking. And I mean, I would say maybe it's not at the level of Donna Tartt, uh, writer of the Goldfinch, but mm. it's, it's pretty high up there. I'm very much enjoying, she's like able to um transition very smoothly between a young person voice versus an older person's voice mm -hmm. a guy's voice versus a girl's voice of certain cultures voice versus another culture's voice i mean it's not like so like culturally imposing i think one culture is american and another one i don't actually know what culture is from you can just kind of tell because the names are somewhat foreign you know mm -hmm. so i i don't actually know where they're from but like it's that's done right. in a way that's like not um not imposing in yeah. any way great cool well i look forward to hearing an update on that once you've finished it yeah I, I, i'm excited to be able to report back because i'm sure i'm gonna enjoy it awesome all right so my final book that i read in the last couple of weeks is 
a, I was about to say graphic novel, but it's actually a graphic nonfiction. It's called A Game for Swallows, To Die, To Leave, To Return by Zaina, I'm going to butcher this and I apologize, uh, Abirachet, probably, something like that. Lebanese background, I apologize, I don't know how to pronounce Lebanese uh, consonants. <laughs> um, <laughs> and translated from the French that she wrote it in, actually, uh, by Edward Galvin. So essentially the premise is that it's it's a kind of snapshot of the civil war in Lebanon that had been going on between East and West Beirut, with the East Beirut being, you know, for Christians and the West of Beirut being for Muslims. And I might actually just read the description sure. of it because it's it's a very specific kind of story. So when Zaina was born, the civil war in Lebanon had been going on for six years. So it's just a normal part of life for her and her parents and little brother. The city of Beirut is cut in two, separated by bricks and sandbags and threatened by snipers and shelling. East Beirut is for Christians and West Beirut is for Muslims. When Zaina's parents don't return one afternoon from a visit to the other half of the city and the bombing grows ever closer, the neighbours in her apartment house create a world indoors for Zaina and her brother where it's comfy and safe, where they can share cooking lessons and games and gossip. Together they try to make it through a dramatic day in the one place they hoped they would always be safe, home. It was very interesting in that, like, I learned, because I, I, I knew absolutely nothing about this, this civil war in Lebanon. So it was very interesting in that, like, I learned quite a lot from that. I would have, like, so the purpose of it is essentially for it to be from the child's point of view. And so everything is kind of light and glossed over, which does work well in a way, but it also meant that it couldn't kind of go very deeply into it. Choosing a graphic novel format for a nonfiction is just a really interesting concept overall, to be honest, but it also, I'm not sure, I don't know, like, it probably did what it was meant to do, but it, it, it just wasn't enough for me, like, I, I would have preferred it to either be more of a story or more information, I feel like it was kind of right. not enough of either, because of the graphic format, it could only be a certain length, and it just, yeah, it was a great, it was a really interesting snapshot, it was really interesting to kind of see um, and like the, the art is done really well that's something that I was like that this is fantastic um, the art is just it's done in like a really cute style and like throughout it even like there's a little each each panel there's you know a fair amount of dialogue or explanation or something but because of that they have each of the characters doing little things like slurping their their you know cups of coffee or or like doing shifty eyes at the kids like while someone else isn't looking there's like a whole section where you know one of the panels going down the side um is one of this guy is the guy like slowly twirling his mustache and then at one point he lets go and then there's just like a boing written above his mustache and like that's very cute like those little extra details but yeah so like in in terms of like an enjoyable read it certainly was and like the, the the art style was done really well I guess I just would have liked a bit more information or a bit more story or just more something really I think like it just didn't quite hit as hard as it kind of as I kind of wanted it to I suppose right. for the content matter have you read Persepolis I haven't do you are you familiar with Persepolis I'm not 
<laughs> it's <laughs> it's actually um, I immediately thought of it when you described this book because it's a graphic novel uh, memoir I think or it might be somewhat fictionalized but it's the story of the the writer's experience going through the Iranian Revolution. Oh, actually, that does ring a bell now. I think when I was looking up reviews after Game of Swallows, someone mentioned that it had been influenced by Persepolis. Because when you said I... the name, it did ring a bell. So yeah, I think it actually was influenced by that one. I was curious about that mm. because Persepolis, I mean, I, I read it and I found it to be very effective. I mean, mm. I, it was a while ago, so I couldn't tell you exactly if I felt that it needed to be more informed. I don't think so. Honestly, I remember enjoying it. I think I was reading it more for a religion course, actually, mm. which is kind of odd because... Um, I mean, it has somewhat to do with religion, but it's more about war. But anyway, <laughs> so I was curious because I do remember feeling that it was fairly successful in its attempt to sort of combine the graphic novel format and this sort of heavy nonfiction subject matter. And so I think it like it can be done well. And so mm -hmm. if, if it wasn't clicking for you in this book that you just read, then it it was probably like, the the writer or the the creation mm -hmm. of it than the concept of a graphic novel talking about these heavy like nonfiction topics because I yeah. I do think Persepolis did it really well and I I think you would enjoy that because it okay. might be what you were looking for in this book yeah fantastic I will um I'll add that to my TBR right now of course they're like very different stories but they have very similar themes you know of like a young woman um, navigating the challenges of being in like a political conflict um as a young person obviously you've just mentioned that your haul from scotland was those two books do you have any other hauls or tbrs to mention briefly i guess i do have one it uh i it hasn't arrived yet so i don't know if i can technically haul it um maybe i'll report back on if it arrived next sunday but uh <laughs> for my book club at school we're going to be reading the midnight library as my book club members voted mm -hmm. and that is in the mail so i'm excited to haul that and also awesome. get started on that book we should be finishing it before the end of the semester which ends mid-december so great uh, a report will come back on that soon yes Very excited to get started and we'll probably be doing an episode where we both discuss that one because I'm planning to read it as well. Oh, awesome! Just, yeah, so listeners, we uh, if, if you want to maybe try have read that yourself in the next couple of weeks, if you want to, um, kind of a mini book <laughs> club, you know, no pressure, obviously. You can always come back to that episode <laughs> later if you like, but, you know, we will probably be having a bit of a discussion about that one coming up soon. I'm very excited for that because I'll probably have a lot of thoughts coming from, you know, the, the book club in person that I have mm -hmm. and then talking with you about it. I'm very excited to really dive deep into this book. So that's awesome. upcoming. Otherwise, I think uh, I didn't add anything to my TBR that I can remember. Cool. What about I, you? I definitely did. So <laughs> first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll go with a haul. So the Man Booker Prize winner was announced last week at the time of recording. And uh, it was The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shehan Karanatilaka. And I, so I'd, all, I'd actually kind of forgotten th that I was going to do this. In 2015, I decided I was going to start purchasing a physical copy and eventually reading every Man Booker Prize winner. Mm -hmm. And I did do that for most of the years. But then when I was going to purchase this one, I went, I was thinking back and I was like, I don't, 
remember actually buying that many of them. Did I miss some? And I did. So I <laughs> bought not only the Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, but I also bought the 2017 winner, which was Lincoln in the Bardo, which you mentioned uh, yes. a while back. So I've got that as well now. And I also bought the 2021 winner, which was The Promise by Damon Gal- Galgu- Galgut. I apologize. I don't know how that's pronounced. So yeah, I have those three extra now because I already had tw- you know, the 2015, 16, 18, 19, and 20 winners. I haven't read all of them, but uh, I have them. So I bought those three to kind of keep that collection going. I also added a bunch to my TBR, so I will not go into each of them in detail, but (laughs) essentially I've added uh, a nonfiction memoir called I Want to Die But I Want to Eat Tokboki by by Mm -hmm. Xehi with uh, Ant and Her translating. That is the Books Unbound podcast uh, book club book coming up, so I'll probably be reading that pretty soon. I also put on my TBR the um, the next of the Aaron Fork mystery novel series that Jane Harper writes, which is not coming out until 2023, but I just wanted to kind of put it on my TBR. Um, it's called Exiles. I also added two kind of lighthearted rom-coms or you know, romantic novels that were recommended by Jesse the Reader in one of his recent videos called The Love Con and Loathe at First Sight. Those were the two th- those were two of the ones that he kind of more strongly recommended. I was like, yeah, give those a go. Seem like they're kind of fun, light ones. I also added the untitled third uh, novel in the Eve of Man series by Tom and Giovanna Fletcher. I've only read the first of those. I do own the second and I just haven't got around to reading it yet. I need to do that, but I added the third one because that's also going to be published sometime next year, probably. And I've also added Cleopatra and Frankenstein by Coco Meloz. It's a pretty new book. I think it was published. It was definitely published this year, but I think it's it's quite new. Did you get that from Jack in the Books? Or Jack Edwards, whichever channel? Uh, I didn't. I actually don't remember if he mentioned it. He probably did. But I actually got this one because it's the monthly book club for next month for a another podcast I listen to called Shameless. Mm. A couple of Australian gals run that one. So yeah, it just sounded interesting. So I figured I'd give it a listen. But yeah, I won't go into it any further because I will be reading that in the next month probably. So I'll be going into it more then. But yeah. I also want to read I Want to Die, but I want to eat Tukboki because mm. I really wanted to join the book club for Books Unbound last cycle, I suppose. Mm. They read uh, The Night Circus. Yeah. And I actually borrowed it from the library, but just didn't get to it before mm. I had to leave and return the book. So unfortunately, I didn't get to join that one. Yeah. Might I'd still read that. Spo- but... <laughs> spoiler alert, I did not enjoy that book. Uh, you probably might, mm. um, but it's mm. very much a... Don't go in expecting the plot to be super, super involved. <laughs> okay. Because uh, okay. it sets it up like it should have a super involved plot, and then it's just mostly atmosphere. The atmosphere is great, don't get me wrong, but like, and the writing style is gorgeous. Like, it's really entertaining read, but then you get to the end and you're okay. like, wait, wh- why do I care about these characters? What What is the plot? That's That seems to be mm. the general consensus, but... Right. So now you now that you can go in prepared... To just enjoy the atmosphere of it without looking for the plot. Hopefully you will enjoy it more than I did. (laughs) For some reason, I kind of feel like this is going to be a good, like, Christmas time book. Yeah, it's got some of those magical vibes. No, yeah, that would work. Yeah, so I I might re-borrow it when I return to the States uh, and can grab it from the library. Because knowing that so many people have neutral and or mixed 
and or negative mm. opinions on it. A lot of people I wasn't love it so encouraged well, though, to like, buy it. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. It's, it's um, a very beloved book by a lot of people. Um, it's just right. a very specific type of book, I think, that like resonates more with some people than others, I guess. So Yes. I think I think though the controversy around I mean, it's a very low level controversy, but it inspired me to maybe prioritize it as a library mm. borrow rather than a purchase. Yes, yeah. Is my point. Yep. So um I'll be back mid December um in the States and can pick it up then. So we'll see. Perfect. Um, but I was going to say, I want to read, uh, I want to die, but I want to eat takeboki. But I was planning to do that as an audiobook. Mm. And while we were talking, I looked it up. And the audiobook format doesn't come out until November 1st. And really? that's when it is released on the Brooklyn Public Library as well. I, I'm pretty sure that's when it's coming out for everything because I looked for it before and couldn't find it. That's interesting. I think I, I, I saw in the um, the Books Unbound Discord that there were some people who couldn't get access to it yet and most of them were in America. It's it's actually out already ah. in a bunch of other countries, mine included. So um, it's been Wait, out. The physical it's, or the audio? Both. They've been out for a while. Really? Yeah. Like I had no oh. idea that it wasn't out in America yet. So I don't know what that's about. Um, different publishing yeah. deals, I guess. But Probably. Big. Well, November 1 is... Uh, in well, for you it's in a couple of days for me it's tomorrow so um right you know it's coming up well i'll quick. definitely i'm gonna get see the if i can real quick. <laughs> exactly i'm yeah. gonna see if i can like set an alarm for like 6 a.m so that it's right when it turns uh, to midnight on that day so i can maybe get an early hold because i currently have a bunch of holds on my library uh audiobooks but they're all for like books that have that are really popular. Mm. So like Jeanette McCurdy's I'm Glad My Mom Died. I've yes. had a hold on that for a while. But literally I was like 1,000th in line for this book. You've just reminded until me that recently. I keep I mean, forgetting to see if my <laughs> library has that audiobook as well. I think also like I want the audiobook because I've heard yes. it's such a good experience. So And it's written I read by her. So yes. I plan to do it by audiobook. And I'm now 587th. So we're making progress, Great. but they still say it's about seven weeks of wait time. We'll see about that. Okay. Well, mine <laughs> says uh, I now, it's, it's, it's on loan and will be available on the 3rd of February, uh, 2023. So I, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see whether it comes earlier than that, but I've now, right. I've now put a hold on that. <laughs> so wonderful. Thank you for that reminder, by the way, because I also really <laughs> want to read that because everyone has loved it. Like, I have not right. heard a single review that was less than, like, you know, Stella. oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so Stella, yeah, that's the word. Exactly. Less than Stella. So thank you. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll slide into our final segment for today, which is to discuss a new, well, new to us rating system for our star ratings. So essentially... In back in episode four, uh, Nina and I described our kind of rough rating system. Nina's was a little less rough than mine, but it was still kind of based on feelings more than anything else. And several weeks ago, a booktube content creator who I have been following since only about August, but who I really, really love called Book Roast came out with a, a new video discuss you know, just reviewing some books, and she kept mentioning this thing called a core pile rating, spelled C-A-W-P-I-L-E. And I went, what on earth is that? And I googled it, and the only articles I could find were from, you know, b- random, you know, book vlogs, uh, blogs rather, book blogs, <laughs> mentioning book roast. And, like, it turns out this is actually 
a rating system that she created, which I shouldn't have been so surprised about because she also, she's just, she creates all sorts of things. Like she created the, this whole like university, magical university, um, role-playing system for, for, um, which was the magical readathon, um, that I was doing when we first started this podcast. Um, and she also has like this TBR game that's based on Avatar The Last Airbender and like it's like this whole like little board game that she updates all the time and um, like with cards and stuff like it's it's she's 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 a very very creative person she's uh, one of the few people I support on Patreon because of that like the amount of work she puts into this stuff is incredible but anyway her corpile rating system was something I looked up I looked into um, I We'll post in the show notes a couple of links to both her explainer video, uh, which is kind of a general explainer video, and then the most updated version, because that's got some additions like nonfiction ratings and um, the most up-to-date spreadsheet, because she also somehow managed to create this beautiful spreadsheet that could, that like puts data together for you, and it's amazing. So anyone who's as much of a data, you know, book data stats nerd as Nina and I am, am as Nina and I are we you know you will definitely appreciate uh the amount of work that's gone into this spreadsheet absolutely so yeah uh I guess I'll just kind of launch into explaining what it is so core pile is an acronym that stands for like a bunch of categories so essentially in order to get your final star rating you rate each of these categories out of 10 and then there's like an average and um she's got a whole like cheat sheet guide which I'll go through a bit later but essentially the seven categories are so C stands for characters uh each of these rating from one to ten or if it's a non-fiction book it stands for credibility slash research A is atmosphere for non-fiction it's authenticity slash uniqueness and there's actually an extra one for graphic novels uh in there or comics etc A is art style for those W stands for writing which in non-fiction can be kind of writing or readability because you know there's some non-fictions that are just written like textbooks and that is not particularly readable then we've got P stands for plot in fiction or personal impact for non-fiction I stands for intrigue across the board. L stands for logic. Um, so, you know, whether the story kind of makes sense, whether there's too many coincidences and stuff like that. Logic and uh, in, in the nonfiction, it's kind of logic slash informativeness. And then E is enjoyment across the board. So I, being the person I am, once I found this rating, I immediately inputted all my 2022 reads into a version of the spreadsheet. So basically she's created two spreadsheets, which again will be in like the description of the YouTube video that I link of hers. One is like a more base level. One is a like really, really like lots of data input that you can do. It includes all sorts of reading statistics, like, you know, everything from your basic, what's the title, who's the author, was it an audiobook, an ebook, or a physical book? How long was it? That kind of stuff. But it also has categories for age. So whether it was a young adult novel or a children's novel, new adult, 
um, or an adult novel. Um, you can write the publishing year, the publisher. I, I got rid of the publisher tab personally because I don't really care who published <laughs> the books. That's just me. Whether it's a reread or the first time you've read it, whether it's an author you've read from before or whether it's like um, a new author to you, series or standalone, like there's all these fantastic pieces of data that she's put in there and you and she gives you step-by-step -step instructions on how to minimize each of those columns if you want to. And I got particularly excited by the section which is like you can you can there's like a tick box of like whether it's a translated book or not because I want to be like reading more books from other countries and that are translated from other languages so it's nice to be able to kind of get that in data form because it's not something that stop you know things like Storygraph do not include that kind of information in their data whether there's LGBT representation, whether there's disability representation, whether the author is a person of colour, what gender they are, um, what nationality they are, that kind of thing. So all of that is a lot of information, but um, there are, you know, if you're interested in trying out the core pile method of rating, you can ignore all of that and just go with the actual rating system. And the reason this appealed to me is because there are often books that I have trouble rating, and so I just don't. So, for example, the, in, in fact, actually, the most recent book I read, A Game for Swallows, um, is actually a really good example of that, because a book like that I always have trouble rating, because I'm like, this is someone's life experience, I don't know how to kind of judge how good the story is when it's, it's kind of memoir-based. And so it was really nice to be able to kind of break it down into these categories. So for A Game of Swallows, for example, I would have had like significant difficulty rating that one um, because if I was just going by general feel, I don't know whether this is like a really good book or whether I recommend it to someone. It just because for me it fell flat, but I couldn't really quantify why. And so being able to split it into these categories was really helpful. And after putting in you know, individual data points for each of the things, I was able to kind of appreciate that, for example, the art style for me was really nice. It was like an 8 out of 10. Um, the characters were about an 8 out of 10. Um, but then when it came to the personal impact side of it, mm. um, that was only like a 5. But then the intrigue was a 9, you know, like right. all of these things that give such a disparate idea. And so when you're trying to, because I was thinking about both the intrigue and the personal impact as well as the enjoyment and those are three very different scores if you're thinking about it and it just gets a little overwhelming so I actually really loved the fact that I could put in each of those elements and therefore it's not like one of those elements is overpowering the rest right because sometimes I feel like the enjoyment or the personal impact um, side of it especially for nonfiction, tends to take over all the rest of it and so I forget the good parts of the book and 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 I am more likely to rate it maybe a little more unfairly shall we say sure um I don't know if I don't know if that makes any sense sure but, yeah and then like so the core pile system that uh, she's created so far only goes to like the half stars so I do kind of do by feel for the quarter stars so for example the spreadsheet gave me um four um out of five stars for uh, A Game of Swallows, which I knocked down to a 3.75 because I didn't feel like it was something I would be actively recommending to people. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I interpreted that. If it had been a 3.5, I probably would have also um, bumped it up to a 3.75, I think. So, right. you know, that it's it's the quarter stars are, are still kind of by feel, but, like, the, it's really nice to kind of 
have that more objective well it's, it's still obviously it's still subjective but like <laughs> have it being a little more guided structure yeah yeah and like the cheat sheet that she's got uh within the excel file explains in lots of detail like what each of the i won't go into it because it'll take forever but what each of the um categories like what kind of things you should be looking for what a rough rating guide would be it shows you like you know what what the equivalent number to star rating is so you know like even even if you're not interested in the full spreadsheet i would highly recommend downloading it just to get the corpile cheat sheet that's like the third sheet on that spreadsheet because if you're interested in using that method it's like the probably the go-to um in terms of the information you need so anyway i have fully embraced it (laughs) as you can probably tell because i felt like i was floating in the breeze a little with my previous rating system to be completely honest um and i did actually re-rate a couple of things that i'd rated earlier in the year after doing the core pile not many a lot of it was like still pretty consistent with what i'd rated already but it was it was an interesting exercise and I'm really enjoying kind of going through that process and having all that extra data, which I will <laughs> very much be looking forward to reporting on at the end of the year. So yeah, I'll, uh, I've been babbling for a while, so I will you I will uh, hand over to you to talk for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. So my initial experience with the Carpile system was that I started by inputting some of my more recent reads. And I very quickly realized I don't think I'm going to be adopting the system because even though I'm very much a spreadsheet person and I'm very much a data person, I and I very much appreciate all the work she does. Like it's incredible. And it's not to say that I don't appreciate the sheet, but the only reason is that um, I've actually been sort of abandoning my own personal book spreadsheet for Storygraph mm. because I feel that it has been giving me the the data that I want in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. most of this information is tracked on Storygraph and I don't feel the need to put it in. Just like putting the author name, the title, the publisher name. And of course you can like hide these things, but like it just feels like having to to type it in individually, I would much prefer to just like use an app that already has it sort of Mm pre-written. Though I did highlight when I was going through it, a few columns for like tracking information that I wish Storygraph would have. And so Mm. um, I might actually be inspired to send a message to Storygraph about these features mm. that I would like to see mm-hmm. uh, because I've actually noticed that they've been very like personally responsive to any feedback because they're a new company. Awesome. And I think they're pretty like small and stuff. Yeah. Um, but maybe to highlight a few that I think Storygraph should adopt is A, publishing. So I know you said you aren't so interested in the publisher. (laughs) I'm not generally interested in the publisher because I'm not like really a part of the publishing world or like keeping track of what publishers I've been reading. But I am very curious to find out if I read a lot of one publisher Mm, or a lot of a couple publishers as if maybe there's a monopoly in the publishing industry. You know, I mean, I'm sure there is and that a lot of, you know, mainstream reading um, is funneled from certain publishing houses. Uh, I don't think I actually will have read a lot from one publisher because I just don't tend to read a lot of mainstream books. Um, I read some, but I don't think it's like the majority of my reading. And so I I don't think I would have that experience, but I I would be interested in tracking it. And I would like to see that on Storygraph Mm -hmm. eventually. And then another one that I thought Storygraph could improve on is the main genre, because I find that they're often incorrect or just like Mm -hmm. not specific enough. And I liked that on this list it sort of it's more open-ended or sorry let me read out the genre options there's like 
adventure, biography, classic, contemporary, crime, fantasy, historical fiction. I mean, it's not like it's a super comprehensive list. I it you know fits within one page. I'm not scrolling or anything. But I definitely feel that I've noticed some inconsistencies with the storygraph mm. genre categories. I also agree with you in that the author's identity should be listed more explicitly on Storygraph. I do think it's a bit complicated because I don't always think it's appropriate to, you know, require someone to list their race or nationality or identity, you know, if they don't, like, feel the need. And I definitely think, like, it's important to recognize how much you're reading, like, translated work or work from people of minority experiences or people of color, you know, writing... um, but I also think, I don't know, and maybe this is maybe this is like a personal political preference, but I do think we focus on that a lot in our society, and I don't know if we use that information in a particularly productive way. Like, I think a lot of the time people use that kind of information to, like, pat themselves on the back right, or okay. to just, like, be like, and now I know this is from a person of color, um, but maybe not to, like really deeply analyze how that affects their reading like mm-hmm. when they read more people of color like how that affects their their view in the world i don't know i i don't know i have mixed feelings on it i also think you know is it the most productive direction like i think obviously acknowledging um you know these identities is really important but also is it the most productive thing to be labeling people based on these identities yeah i don't know yeah no it's, that's a, whole, fair. it's a whole complicated thing that's fair yeah so i was just like thinking about like how Storygraph would make this look and i thought like oh maybe they'd have a pie chart of like how what percentage of books do you read by people of color but then you know so many people have very complicated racial identities yeah. like you can be a person of color but white passing you can you know be all sorts of things there's there's just such a such a spectrum yeah. so I was, I was hesitant to request that of Storygraph. I might not do that. But I do think it's interesting to definitely track on a personal spreadsheet like this. Mm. The cop pile system... Yeah. Oh, wait. Maybe before I go into the cop pile system, I do want to say a few things that I take issue with with Storygraph to say that maybe like is in the, the is an argument in favor of the, the cop pile spreadsheet. I do find that the the sort of analysis or the review format on Storygraph to be a little bit odd. Yeah. I like it better than um, Goodreads, yes. of course. Yeah. Goodreads is just so, like, you know, it's like, here's a blank. box, write your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so open ended. Um, and so I do really love that you can tell that Storygraph is made by people who are readers mm. who are thinking about like what it means to write a review and what you think about when you're writing a review. And it really helps me guide my review better but i also find that they have just such strong uh, such strange categories and like very specific things but also are lacking certain things so like um there's a category for mood which i think is actually right uh, quite effective you know adventurous challenging dark emotional blah 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 and a category for pace both i think you know are effective but then it gets into like are there flaws in the main? Are the flaws of the main character the main focus of the book? I'm like, what kind of question is this? Well, I, I mean, like, I think it's an interesting question, but th- it's just so specific. Yeah. I, think, I think, and I almost always skip it. I think I, I do see the point of that, though, because there are like, there's a huge demand, and I, you know, I'm one of those people for like sometimes you just really in the mood for a, a complex main character, 
And I right. think that's what that data is for. It's to help people filter what they're looking for. Um, so I do kind of right. see where they're coming from with that. But it does seem kind of at a surface level like a particularly niche um, thing to be asking. But I guess there was enough um, demand for yeah. that. Uh, I personally love those like little drop down boxes they've got there. Like I, I much prefer it to writing an actual review. Um, so you know I'm I'm all in favor of that. But yeah, it is it is a little um, it's very it's very specific. Right, right. I mean, I think it it um, they're sometimes applicable, and when they are applicable, I'm really glad they're there. And then sometimes I just don't use them, and it makes me think like because I often don't use them. Like, are they necessary? Well, they but do all no have a, having them. They do all have an NA option as well yeah exactly exactly another thing i do uh find a bit complicated with uh story graph is the way they display these ratings so they have it um like when you look up a book first of all they don't prominently display the out of five star average rating it's like at the very bottom yeah yeah it's weird which is interesting yeah yeah, I wonder if um, they're trying to like sort of phase away from that mindset Maybe. in the reading community. Maybe because I know Goodreads is so prominent yes. with like that's a huge feature of Goodreads, and I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that they're like in partnership with Amazon because Amazon was yes. one of the first um, initiators of this star rating. Well, system. it's owned by Amazon. Um, it's um, more than in partnership. Right. It's like fully owned. By right, Amazon, right. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how long, like, if it was originally owned by them because I think it was bought by them at some point. So I don't know how if their star rating adaptation like came from Amazon or not, but. Anyway, um, I find it interesting that it's like not that uh, highlighted, which I think makes sense because often I don't think that the rating of a book often has to do with the actual quality of the yeah. book. It has more to do with the popularity and of the, the pop- book. And like the um, marketing, yeah. The marketing, yeah. exactly, exactly. Definitely, um, agreed. And so I'm like interested in the idea of making it a smaller feature, but I do wish there was more of I don't know I I just kind of don't love the interface and I don't have a clear idea of how I would want it to change I mean I'm not a UX designer person um but but I would hope that maybe they'll update it eventually because I just find all of these categories with all of these percentages to be a little bit uh, visually overwhelming and like I just don't read it most of the time um so I definitely think there is room for improvement on StoryGraph though as I said, I do think I will be continuing with StoryGraph simply because it's just really easy. It's, yeah. All the information is there. And they are receptive to commentary. Yeah. Um, but the one thing, I mean, I would be even curious to see if StoryGraph would be interested in purchasing the, I don't know if it's copyrighted, but the cop pile idea mm. from um, the the creator because I think it's actually fantastic, um, a fantastic way Great. to... to maybe make star ratings mean mm-hmm. something yep. more uh, because like I said the star ratings have so much to do with popularity or marketing and less to do with the actual book itself mm. um, and so I think the compile system makes it more objective as mm-hmm. you said even though it's a subjective thing inherently so yeah no I was just um, I was curious to see um, how my like personal influences might have affected each of the scoring and how that might 
factor into Kapow, because she doesn't really have that sort of X factor as a component into your rating, which I do think is important. It makes it well, less objective. Enjoyment, enjoyment is one of the seven points, so I think that's... Right. Yeah. Well, I think enjoyment isn't quite it for me, at least, just because... Like, this X factor, for some books, can be, like, for Jane Eyre, can be notoriety. And right. for other books, like, Six of Crows can be um, author association, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or another book, like, Court of Mist and Fury, I would say enjoyment was the X factor in that one because, like, I know that, like, I really enjoyed it even though I'm aware of the fact that it's maybe not technically such a, like, yeah. great work of literature. But then I think maybe the X factor there is actually the awareness that she's not trying to be great literature. Yeah. Like, I gave her for writing, I gave her a four, which honestly out of 10 feels generous. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe four is fine. Maybe four is fine out of 10. But I don't know. Like, I think I bumped it up higher in my actual rating because I know she's not going for 10 out of 10. Okay, like. yeah, I see what you mean. So there is there is a factor there, but... It's complicated. There, I mean, maybe it could be an eighth category, but mm-hmm. is it necessary? I don't know. Um, I feel like she is trying to almost, maybe I think she's trying to edit out that X yeah, factor in yeah. a way. Um, so it might be like implicitly not a thing to include. Yes. But uh, I do think it's somewhat important. So I Okay, know, that's interesting because, yeah, I think that's where you and I differ on our views of the rating scale because for me, that's what I have been using is those kinds of feelings in the past. And I feel like it's... You know, looking back on the things I rated four and five stars, some of them I'm like, was this actually good or did I just really want <laughs> to, like, support this author? Or did I right. kind of know what the author was getting at and therefore I gave them some leeway, you know? Like, I I, I think in terms of a critical rating system, it's probably more useful in terms of a kind of societal rating system, I suppose, then I, I do agree with you that, that it potentially, like, there's some information missing. But I think... I yeah I think that that was I this this kind of style of analyzing the separate elements of a book were the things that I was missing and also I I noticed that once I started using it I actually was paying more attention to certain things in the book like yeah. I was noticing when the atmosphere was particularly good or when you know I like things like character and plot are things that I'm always going to be like on top of naturally that's those are my focus points but things like the the writing style, I, I know when writing style is bad and I know when it's fantastic, <laughs> but I, I've never really thought about it in terms of kind of, you know, the middle ground of, you know, is this, you know, I basically I'm like, either this is so terrible, I can't read it or I'm engrossed usually are the only things I think right. and otherwise I don't really think about it. But going into a book, thinking about the writing style has been you know, I think adding to my experience of reading and, you know, it's helping me kind of think about it a bit more. I wonder if there are people who use this compile system who change the weights based on their personal preferences. Like, if they believe that intrigue is a more important factor than writing, and so... I mean, you can change the weights, so I imagine people do. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if anyone would be... I mean, yeah, you and I are probably the kinds of people who would bother doing that. I personally am happy with all of them being equal weighted because that's part of why I wanted to use this system is because I didn't want one thing weighing out more than the other. But yeah, certainly that's something that if you had the mathematical abilities to do so, you could 
you could <laughs> definitely kind of implement that into the spreadsheet or create a spreadsheet of your own. You know, whether that's practical for all types of books is another thing because um, I read probably a bit more nonfiction than you do, I'm guessing, uh, and therefore it mm-hmm. would have to be probably separate spreadsheets for me if I were going to do it that <laughs> way. And, you know, like it's 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 certainly, a, yeah, and she changes it all the time. That's the other thing. So, like, it, she comes out with a new spreadsheet basically every year. Like sometimes there's big changes, sometimes there's no changes, but it is a dynamic system. She takes feedback from her viewers. So, um, like, for example, there actually wasn't a nonfiction version of it because she does she really only reads um fiction like mostly fantasy fiction but uh yeah I appreciate that it's like a dynamic thing it's changing all the time and yeah who knows maybe that'll be something that she inputs into the into the files in the future who knows it could be like a sliding scale option I mean I think What's, you know, at the heart of this kind of conversation that makes it so interesting is trying to understand what these sort of rating systems serve, Mm -hmm. you know, especially because this is not like a social platform and therefore it's not like you're giving data back to the publishers or to the art or not artists, the writers Mm. or even to other people to influence their opinions. This is very much a personal thing. I mean, I am translating those ratings into story graphics, but yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, of course, a lot of people will do that as well. But I, I guess I'm just imagining like them being separate, separate platforms versus probably the people on Storygraph aren't doing this or like, the majority of people yeah, on Storygraph yeah. aren't doing this. And I, I'm curious, you know, like because in a way, I mean, I'm thinking of the asexual fairy tales mm. um, book that I just read and how like according to Cogpile, um, that was a with a flat average reading, um, it was a 2.36, as opposed to what I think I'm going to give it on Storygraph, which is a 3.0. At the very least, I might even read it a little higher, maybe 3.25. Okay, I think I'm going to rest it at a 3.0. But I give it that extra boost, not because of the book itself, but because I want to advertise to the world that yeah. I want to see more books like yes. this, you yeah. know? Um, I, and yeah. so even though it's not even a super high rating to like really, um, you know, commemorate the book, mm-hmm. um, but I, I want to boost it in yeah. some way. I guess that's the X factor for that yeah, book. Yeah. I do think, you know, for uh, an individual system, it can and maybe, you know, should be objective because then you analyze the book more honestly mm-hmm. rather than thinking about how your rating might be perceived yeah. by you know, yeah. people who are interacting on the platform. I definitely think about that sometimes. I mean, I have all sorts of problems with um, imagining other people's <laughs> perception. I don't use social media for that reason. Right. Um, and even book platforms like that tip the balance of, is this too much social media for me? But um, it's not actually, I mean, Storygraph is deliberately trying to avoid becoming a social media. Yeah. So, um, but aside from this tangent, my point is like, how much are like the is the fact that we know our ratings are going to be observed impacting our ratings. And then, you know, is that the purpose of reading a book, mm. you know, because if you're just, I guess it's different purposes because on one hand, like I said, I do think analyzing individually, like on your own personal level in your spreadsheet, each of these categories and then giving it a rating that's objective is helpful for you to become a stronger reader, you mm. know, um, versus these platforms. I, I think Definitely, you could be using it as a sort of personal self-reflection, and I do that a lot. I mean, I know people don't read my reviews on Storygraph, but I rate them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I also do think that a part of the use of a platform that's social or public like that is you're letting those sort of X factors drive the market in a way. So mm-hmm. they're just different purposes. So I, like I said, I think I honestly just don't have time to keep up with both. But in theory, I would be happy to keep up both. Um, I wish maybe Storygraph had this incorporated mm-hmm. and you can have it private or you could have a private score versus a public score. Although that's kind of weird. Maybe not that. But anyway, um, there's so many cool things to come of this. And I definitely want to keep track of this creator and any updates she makes in the future. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're, you were open to exploring that with me. So thank you for um, <laughs> uh, indulging, indulging me there. I will certainly... Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, all good. I'll certainly be using the extra data to kind of report on my year's reading probably at the end of the year. So I don't know if you feel like doing that as well, but, you know, obviously you are much busier than I am and I have the time to, <laughs> after I finish each book, just go through and, obvi- well, to be honest, after I'd already inputted most of my books for the year, it became kind of second nature to to, to know what was coming right. next and think about it. But yeah, like obviously no pressure, but if you do decide you want to kind of explore the, like honestly, even just the, the spreadsheet for the automated pie charts and stuff that it create and bar graphs and stuff that it creates for the various random bits of data um is just so well done that I would like yeah. I like that's honestly one of the main reasons I'm using it the core pass system in and of itself I probably would have just worked out by hand right. or well not by hand by calculator but you know what I mean um if, uh, <laughs> if there weren't any other elements to the spreadsheet if it was just for tracking purposes but the fact that it gives you such an awesome data spread you know in the second uh sheet of it uh I was like oh hell yeah I'm using this so but yeah I am also the kind of person who has the time uh to use that and Storygraph and still Goodreads because there's like one or two people who are on there who actually like pay attention (laughs) to each other's reviews and stuff and that one is more of a social media (laughs) so all right uh well I think we'll wrap it up for today thanks Thanks, guys have a good week thanks for listening and uh we will hopefully actually be back next week rather than next fortnight hopefully uh if nothing (laughs) goes wrong uh in either of our lives Thank you for listening. We have been Books Without Borders. You can contact us at bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborders, P-O-D, at gmail.com. That's also listed in our show notes, which also list every book we spoke about in this episode, as well as a few other resources in there, particularly the Corpile-related videos. Those will definitely be in the show notes. And, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.